It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. With financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the inspired team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, the show that helps you take your next wise step in your financial life. I'm your host and one of the advisors of the show. My name's Mike Bernard. Along with me is Kevin Corhorn and Joshua Gregory. Thanks for spending the hour with us. Yep. The presidential election is less than two months away, and the most common question that we get asked throughout the week is, What's the election going to do to the economy and to the markets? And I think it's kind of implied, what's it going to do to me personally? So we're going to discuss the potential impact and what you should do about it coming up this hour. That's right. And folks, this is your show. Go to wisemoneyradio.com to submit a question. You can also on that same website see pictures of us as well as check out previous episodes. Listen to them right there on the site. Also go to the Facebook page at wisemoneyradio.com. We've got content pushed out every day. Uh, check out recent blog posts, question of the week, and all of that. We want to invite you into that conversation all throughout the week. So, All right, folks, what's being called the biggest presidential election of our generation is just a few weeks away. And, you know, I haven't heard them say that in about four years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so interesting. <laughs> However, the, the race at this point is too close to call, and uh, these are two of the most unpopular candidates we've ever had. And I don't think they say that, that every four years. But uh, breaking records for unpopularity, if that's a word. So no matter where you go, you can't escape. Certainly on 95.3, you can't escape what's going on with the election. And both are kind of very controversial, if you will. So let's just talk about this upcoming election a bit. Well, unpopular is right, Mike. When you look at uh, both of the, you know, the Republican and Democratic candidate, and it's it's kind of like a car crash right in front of your very eyes. You can't look away. Oh, I try to look away. I know. And (laughs) I, I don't try and look away, and it's it's actually created some problems. My wife this weekend <laughs> is wondering about my fixation with Hillary Clinton's health. Yeah. And she's encouraged me to take more of an interest in my own health. Than, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Did she invite you to go for a walk or yeah, something? After yeah, that? and, uh, and I, it, there's probably something to that, but it's much more fun to look and ponder and prognosticate the health of Hillary Clinton than it is my own health personally. But certainly the what I would see that this this election, the next two months, is somewhat of a distraction. Now I think it's important and we have a, a civic duty to be involved and make a good decision and for sure to vote. There's um we are we are standing uh on the on the shoulders of many brave men who gave their life for, for us to vote. For us to vote. So yeah. I say you have the right to vote, and a, a, a right unexercised isn't a right. So um, I say, you know, this is the time to get out and vote. But who who it's going to be and where it is right now, especially coming off this weekend um, with uh, the 9-11 issue with uh, yeah. Hillary and her health, yeah. um, it seems like everything's up in the air right now. I, I would also just encourage folks, and it's almost laughable with all of the drama going on with this election, but... Focus on the issues, folks. So if you've got issues that matter to you, do the legwork, not to just be fed with what's on the media about who's doing what or who said what or 
who's got a twin, uh, a body double that they're using or whatever. But look up how the candidates feel about the issues. Yeah, and, and that requires you being proactive, exactly. right? Because the thing that is being fed out there is the circus on TV that we're calling a presidential election right now. And, you know, we may be very biased, but, um, you know, most of the people that we talk to all day, every day, um, they're, they're neither a strong Trump supporter or a strong Hillary supporter. They're somewhere in between kind of shaking their heads saying, what in the world do I do here? Yeah. Right. And, uh, until they dig into the actual issues and figure out, well, what is important to them in the next president or the next Congress man or woman? Um, you know, you're really just going to be left with a, your head spinning, wondering what do I do? And what are the issues that always gets a lot of attention on the campaign trail is if the president has that much influence and control. But one of the issues that's always brought up is the current state of the economy and what the markets are doing because the, uh, whoever the, is, is running for office is saying, I can make things better, right? And it's right. careful for Hillary to say because kind of her um, thinking and, and so on is currently in the administration. So she can't just bash and say the last eight years have been awful. Um, but it, what's going on in the economy is always uh, an issue. So let's talk about where the economy currently is, because this is, this is high stakes in this election. Well, it's high stakes. And, you know, my take on the economy as a political issue, I consider it somewhat of a hot potato because our economy has always moved through cycles. It goes through expansion or growth phases, and then we hit a recession eventually, and there's some sort of a contraction that happens. And it happens somewhat rhythmically through throughout time. And a lot of people try to identify that pattern and line it up with a presidential cycle and give credit where maybe credit isn't always due. Right. Yep, yep. And so here we are. We are in an economy that has been expanding for over 86 months now. And to give you a little bit of perspective, the average stretch of time that we're in a growth phase in the economy is about 45 months. So we're approaching double the, the average length of expan expansion here. The problem is, though, this has been the weakest economic recovery or expansion that has been recorded. And so it, it's leaving a lot of people recognizing, boy, it, it sure feels like we're kind of always teetering on the edge of that next recession. And I, I personally assume, and I don't know this for a fact, but I assume that the next president is going to preside over the next recession. Yeah. It's going to happen regardless of who the candidate is. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. I, you know, so healthy GDP growth and expansion is 4% per year growth GDP. Because of what's been going on, we've just been hoping for two. And the sad thing is, folks, we're at one. So we're so close to the line of just dipping into recession. It's got a lot of folks that, you know, just have doubted the recovery. And Josh, as you've said, this has been the, um, the slowest recovery that we've seen, but it just means really any dip the economy sees could push us into recession. And the federal reserve is their backs are against the wall. They've had such a loose monetary policy for so long that if we do hit a recession, there's not much they can really do. So yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm glad that you've injected the fed into the conversation because in my opinion, they have more influence, more that uh, they deserve more credit for the positive or negative things that go on in the economy than the White House does. Yeah. So yeah. go ahead, Kevin. Well, no, and and this is you know one of the candidates, Donald Trump has has accused the the Fed 
the Federal Reserve of really creating a false economy. That's right. That's right. So th- there is there is a lot uh, there is a lot to that. So let's talk about what how does the stock market typically move during the presidential election year? I mean, there, Josh, you said there are a lot of people that have tried to line things line things up with election cycles and the stock market and find some causation there. But let's talk about that for a little bit. Well, there's a little saying, uh, figures lie and liars figure. <laughs> and so when you look, you know, since since 1833, the Dow Jones Industrial Average has gained on average 10.4% the year before a presidential election and nearly 6% on average in the election year. So you say, oh, in an election year, the market's going to do 6%. I'm in. <laughs> I'm a player. Yeah. So that's great, unless it's 2008. And you were not average in 2008. In 2008, the S&P 500 was down 38%. And you're sitting here wondering, where's my 6%? So here's what I would encourage people. Hang on a second, though, because I think everybody would recognize that 2008 had nothing to do with the presidential election. It was a housing bubble that turned into, um, you, you know, a banking crisis and a stock market collapse, right? So this whole lining up the stock market returns in a year uh, that's a presidential election. I, I Again, I, I think there's strong warning that we should offer there. Well, I, yeah, I agree with you, Josh. Those are two dots that should not be connected. Right. What the stock market does and whether a president is getting elected or not in that particular year, I would not uh, have, there's not a causal relationship in my humble opinion. Yeah, I'm actually looking at the last 22 election uh, elections. And only four of those 22 were negative years in the stock market. But that doesn't, I wouldn't make any correlation. There is this theory out there called presidential, the presidential theory that actually suggests that the election year is usually a good year in the stock market, but the first year of someone's uh, actual presidency is typically the worst. However, you go back over the last six, and that really hasn't been the case. Even after 08, so Obama's first year in office, 09, stock market did great. 2013 stock market did great so hard to find any correlation and causality there so but people are thinking about this they're worried with the election what's going on with the markets what should i do about it we're actually going to narrow in on that very question here next on wise money with Corhorn finance group news talk 95.3 michigan's news channel This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. Hey, folks, welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. My name is Mike Bernard, and along with me in the studio, Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn. And actually, Casey Hendrickson usually producing, but he is out with uh, new baby Harper. Uh, we are so glad for you and the family, Casey. So Rob Perugini, is that how, did I pronounce that right? Well, you know, you added a couple <laughs> syllables. Oh, Rob Perugini is uh, joining us on the board today. Glad to have you with us. Folks, we're talking about what everyone's thinking about, and that's the election, as well as what is that going to mean in the stock market and economy. And, and we're going to uh, buff out those crystal balls, and we're going to actually talk about, all right, folks, if Hillary wins... What do you think? And if Trump wins, what do you think? So uh, if you have a question for the show, go to wisemoneyradio.com. 
You can always give us a call, 574-222-2000 as well. Check us out at Wise Money Radio on Facebook. All right, we left off talking about a little bit of banter of previous uh, presidential election and how the markets performed. Kevin, there are a few additional thoughts you wanted to share. Well, yeah, in 2012, I knew a lot of people that were concerned that a second term of President Obama would certainly spell the end for our country. And so what would you do with that? What would you do with your portfolio at a time like that? So there were a number of people that I knew that were not necessarily following our advice because our advice is to stay on plan, follow the plan. What happens in the uh, presidential elections is disconnected from what happens to the market. So stay on plan. A number of people said, hey, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I want to move a portion of my portfolio to cash. Well, that's fine. But if you moved your portfolio to cash, these people didn't know when to get back in, especially because the guy they thought would bring about gloom and doom was reelected. So you sit on the sidelines. Well, if you sat on the sidelines, 2013 was the best year in the stock market in 16 years. So you missed it. You didn't participate. And, and, with returns as, as difficult to get as they are today, you cannot afford to not participate when the stock market is moving. That's a good point. And That's the risk ultimately in betting the farm that your thesis, your belief on not only who's going to get elected, but then what are the ramifications of that person getting elected can really lead you astray. You can make some major financial decisions by thinking you do have the future figured out. That's right. Yeah. And as always, folks, if you're if you're making a big move like that to deviate from the plan and get out, you, number one, need to be right about that, which the math is against you there. The odds are against you. Number two, you got to be right a second time. And this I've found even harder to do is yep. when to get back in. Absolutely. So anytime someone comes to me and says, I need to get out, Mike, I've got to take some control. And we talk through that. If they ultimately decide that, I say, okay, right now, at the time you're deciding to get out, when are you getting back in? Because you can, you got to decide that now. So, all right, folks, we're going to talk about it. If Trump wins, what's going to happen? If Hillary wins, what's going to happen? No one knows the future. We all know that. But let's speculate a little bit. And we're going to talk about Trump first. So if Trump and Pence ticket wins, what do you think happens to the economy and the stock market? Well, that's a great question. When you talk about Trump and when you listen, and I'm a little bit of a news junkie, when they, a lot of people talk about Trump, especially in the mainstream media, they talk about someone who's crazy. And so you look at what Donald Trump has done in his life. He's amassed a fortune somewhere between five to 10 billion who really knows. And, and, uh, I don't know that it really matters, but he, you know, for someone who's crazy, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, so I, I look at Donald Trump and he seems to be uh, a guy who can get things done and cause he's done it. And um, he's used the, the, the rigged political system that he rails against to get things done. Hmm. So you look at this and you say, well, I, I personally would um, hope for a candidate that was based, had principles, guiding principles that they base their decisions on. Me too. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Give me the principled candidate. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that that, uh, I think that candidate's uh, taking a break or he's. <laughs> um, they're, they're four years out maybe. <laughs> Okay. So, but, but the question is, what is it going to do? And I would still say, you know, I, I, if, if you, um, I was reading as I was getting ready, there was an advertisement in one of the articles that said the stock market was going to plunge by 80% this year. So you could read that and you'd think, oh my, 
I need to do something, right? And those advertisements are meant to get you to do something. Usually it's to buy something you don't have any business owning. But it's, you know, they're they're trying to motivate you. And I, I read by a couple different billionaires, uh, this is, stocks will plunge if Donald Trump is elected president and the bond market could capsize if Trump goes ahead with plans to renegotiate the national debt. So there's, there's lots of sensationalism out there. I don't think, um, I don't, even though the, the president is the, the most powerful man, the president of the United States is the most powerful man in the world, I do not look at that and the correlation to what is happening in the economy and then the correlation between what's happening in the economy and the stock market. I, they're, they're far enough apart. There's some control that, that uh, Donald Trump would have. but Well, emphasis on some there, right? Because last time I checked, we're also going to be electing congressmen and women to uh, head to Washington, D.C. as well. And, you know, in the theoretical government structure where there is balance of power, the combination of White House and Congress matters, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, all these things that Trump will do this and Hillary will do that, well, ultimately, most of those things are actually acts of Congress that they would be signing off on. Oh, you're going to get a stir from the audience, though. I mean, all the... Uh, executive, executive orders, orders, orders right? That's right. right? Yeah, we, we've bordered on uh, a dictatorship <laughs> at times, it feels like, right? So that'd be the hope, but it doesn't right. always work that way. But we're not electing a dictator. That's and, right. uh, you know, you do have to pay attention to what happens. Is there any kind of swing, any kind of change that happens in Congress? Because, uh, you know, regardless of who's in the White House, if there becomes a scenario where there's more gridlock, sometimes Wall Street likes gridlock. Because they recognize that nothing's going to change. You know, nothing's, no no one's going to get anything done. And when nothing's getting done, the rules aren't changing. And if they know the rules, they're good at playing the game and good at making money for investors for themselves as well. Yeah. So here's what I think. I think if Trump wins, it's going to surprise the markets. And markets really don't like surprises, just like you said. Markets kind of like gridlock. And I think we could see something similar to Brexit where the market responds quickly for two days and then comes right back. Yeah. I think the bigger issue beyond the election is actually going to be what the Fed does with with Absolutely. interest rates and whether the economy actually sees liftoff here. But I think if Trump wins, I think there's going to be a sharp reaction. Now, my opinion, let's now turn this to talk about, well, what if Hillary wins? I think if Hillary wins, I don't see a big sharp reaction by the uh, short-term reaction by the market. I think it's just, okay, well, we're in for another four years of what we've been doing. And I, I, so I'm neither saying that's going to be good for the market, but I don't think we see a real sharp response. But what ultimately will drive the markets, in my opinion, uh, is still what the Fed does with interest rates and whether GDP actually sees liftoff, corporate profits come back and all of that. So uh, there's what, a little bit of jargon slipped in there. No, there wasn't. Everyone understood <laughs> every word of that. GDP liftoff is uh, nerdy advisor speak for is the economy growing or not. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Okay, so, but what's your take on Hillary? Anything, anything changed there? What are your guys' thoughts? The thing if, that concerns me about Hillary is actually more of a personal financial planning issue as opposed to what's the stock market going to do and react. Um, you, you know, she's gone on record, and I, I don't know all the details of her tax policies that she's putting forth, but, it, you know, it's pretty clear that her intention would be to raise taxes in many different ways, pretty much across the board, you could say. And that, that's in stark contrast to what Trump is saying that he would like to see happen, uh, lowering taxes. In either scenario, whether you're introducing new social programs, uh, new spending bills and things like that, the question is always going to be how are you going to pay for it? 
And at some point, the, the taxation, whether it's today or down the road for you in retirement uh, someday, you have to pay attention to the tax environment because it could create some opportunities or some real threats for you. Yeah, so I think, you know, when you, when you think about just bringing this home, what should you do? I think you should, number one, you should vote. Number two, have your own financial goals. And number three, have a plan to reach them. Because it, it really, when people say, what's my response to the election that's coming up? I, I would just tell you to vote. Leave your portfolio alone. If you've got a good plan, stay on plan. Stay on task. Put the blinders on. Uh, Odysseus, uh, put the, uh, the the blinders on and wax in his guy's ears and strapped him to the mast, all that good stuff. So do what it takes to stay on course. Yeah, that's right. And I would also say, you know, because of where interest rates are and the kind of tricky situation the economy is, make sure you've got the right risk tolerance and you're appropriately diversified in your portfolio. Um, that's the bigger issue than how to play the election. Because if you try to, odds are against you there. You've got to be right twice. And uh, that's tricky business. So, um, all right, folks, we're going to wrap up the uh, economy and presidential election in just a minute. And we've got questions from fans of the show coming up here on Wise Money with Porthorn Financial Group, Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. Hey, folks, welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. My name's Mike. I've got Kevin and Josh in the studio with me. Special thanks to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with REMAX 100 as well as First State Bank and the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern, and Keene. Thank you guys so much for your partnership. We have been talking about what in the world the stock market and economy might do with the upcoming presidential election and really what you should do about it. This is on everyone's mind. Everyone's concerned about it. Guys, I talk about it in every single client meeting. Yeah. I really do. Every so time do someone comes in, that's their biggest concern. And so we're happy to be talking about that on today's show. We're just about to transition into listener questions and we've got some good ones from fans of the show, but let's just recap and provide some wise action steps for folks as you, as you guys are thinking about, what should I do with the upcoming election? You know, that again, that question is the one that is on so many clients' uh, minds and eventually on their lips when they're in meetings with us. And I actually had a meeting with a, a widow, someone who lost her husband recently and She's generally, uh, you know, always come to me for financial advice, but usually in an election year, she also asks me, Josh, who should I vote for? Oh my goodness. Yeah, a lot of power, it, Joshua. It, it feels a lot of like power. it. But this year she asked that question, who should I vote for? Who's going to make my life better? She actually said that verbatim. Bernie Sanders? Is that no. right? Oh no. I, you know, the answer I gave her, the, the warning was, the, she's really asked two totally <laughs> different questions, right? Yes. She... Who you should vote for is who you believe ultimately um, upholds the values that you want for America, for the future, and everything like that. Who's going to make your life better is not on the ticket. Mm. It's you, right? And I tried to emphasize to her that, you know, your life is one, it, it is one great decision away from breaking free and things spiraling upward for you. And it's one hard decision quite often. 
And it has nothing to do with who wins the election. It has everything to do with how you decide to approach your financial life. And, you know, to me, finding someone in your life who can help coach you through that type of decision making, making decisions in the context of a financial plan is ultimately what's going to lead to a better life for you. Financially. Absolutely. This is wise money, folks. That is wise, wise advice. I love it. Yep. Good stuff. Okay. You know, uh, also good stuff. We got a great question from listener Ron uh, this past weekend. We, we, we've been talking about the 529 plan for the past few weeks on shows. We've had several questions about it. And Ron asked just a great question. And to be honest, just full and fair disclosure, I was a little surprised by the answer. Okay. So there we go. Ron, here's what he said. I have deposited $5,000 every year for three years. So 15 grand total into my 529 plan to maximize the credit available. So he must live in Indiana. My daughter is a freshman and received a full ride scholarship. Way to go. Way to go, daughter. Okay, so here's his questions. If I withdraw all the 15,000 plus interest, I only earned about 100 bucks. I was in the savings account, which is very prudent. If I withdraw all that money and not use it for college because of the scholarship, what would my penalties be? Also, you know, what would I be able to put in my pocket, free and clear. And then secondly, I'm going to say these at the same time because to me they're totally related. If I if I deposited 5000 every year to take advantage of the 20% tax credit and withdraw not for college expenses, same question as above. What are the penalties? What would I be able to put free and clear in my pocket? And then he finishes with, I listen to the Wise Money Show every few Saturdays, Saturdays a month and really enjoy the program. Appreciate the info. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ron. Great question. Yeah, thanks for listening, mm-hmm. too. So here's here's the deal. I'll kick off the answer, and I'm a little surprised by this. But um, in general, the, 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 the philosophy that I always kind of, um, well, just run this through is that 529 plans are available to help encourage citizens to save up for college. Same thing with the state tax credit that Indiana offers. is They're trying to get Hoosiers to save up for college. If you get a scholarship, that's awesome. They don't want to penalize you. So the question about any gains on the account, the $100 of gain, if you withdraw that money and it's not used for college because you had a scholarship, that gain is going to be taxable, but it's not going to be penalized. If you withdraw and didn't have a scholarship and weren't using it for college, you'd have to pay tax and penalty. But that $100 gain would be taxed but not penalized. However, your second question is about that state tax credit, the 20% take state tax credit. And this is awesome news. Actually, I didn't quite understand this, but Josh, do you want to address that part of the answer? Well, the, the risk that we often warn people of is that if you have put money into the Indiana 529 plan to get that valuable credit that we're always you know loving and, and applauding uh, on this show, they can pull that back. They can claw it back if you weren't using the 529 plan to accumulate for actual college expenses. And the, there, there is an exception to this rule, and that is if you pile the money up for education, but your child is either uh, deceased, disabled, or in this case uh, actually gets the, uh, the the full ride or some scholarship, you can pull those dollars out and not have to pay back the credit that you got. Do you know what this means, folks? That's right. It's get a loophole, kid, right? Get your kid out in the yard right now. I don't care if it's raining or not. Get your kid out in the yard right now and work on that, uh, that um, place kicking. Because or, or punting, but, or so, but take them to the library. Come on, there you go. fellas! Right. Do everything possible to to have your kid get a scholarship, as well as 
be responsible and save up using the Indiana 529 plan. Because if you do that, you'll get your 20% state tax credit. And if they get a scholarship, they also get free school, which is just awesome. That's right. So only a few people will be able to get that benefit, but that's awesome. And uh, that's why I kind of like Jim Harbaugh's approach of recruiting kids when they're in middle school. I mean, these these parents have, <laughs> have a big window that, yeah, I might be getting a scholarship here. Let me try and double dip and get some benefit here from the state. So, yeah. Good yeah. idea, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and actually, Mike, I had a question that came from a client that I met with this week. And this person said, hey, last year I put $5,000 into the 529 plan in the state of Indiana. So I got a $1,000 credit. And although I need that money this year for education, I'm going to leave it in there so I can get my credit again this year. And I, I was thinking about the 529, and it seems like um, we, we spend a lot of time, almost a disproportionate amount of time talking about it on this show. But the 529 plan is such an, a simple concept, but it is so incredibly complicated as you try to implement it in your financial life. And we think because we spend all day, every day dealing with 529 plans and, and weird, quirky little things about them that everyone knows and understands exactly how it works. And the reality is most folks just don't. Yeah. yeah so so the, the scenario that you just described, just to make this explicitly clear for everyone, you only get the credit for the year that you make a contribution to the 529 plan. Mm -hmm. not you, you don't get the credit for leaving it in there. Mm -hmm. Correct. Uh, producer Rob already uh, earning his, uh, or showing his value in the studio. He, said, he sent me just a message right there. I said, what about if your son or daughter goes into military? That is also yes. an exception. Yep. So uh, a child is deceased, dis disabled, gets a full ride scholarship, or goes into mm -hmm. military. Military academy. Yep. yep. And these are all, guys, these are all on the... Uh, on the Facebook page and on the blog, I posted last week an article about the seven myths to 529 plans. And this answer is actually tucked in there. So go check that out. It's uh, a week old, but it's still right there on the blog and on Facebook. So, okay, next question. We're going to kick it off. And um, it's from Dennis. He's 57. It says, my daughter graduated from college a few years ago and is living on her own but is still young and trying to recover from some bad financial decisions in college and right after college. She owes about $9,000 on credit cards with a 15.9% interest rate. My wife and I have thought about using our savings to pay off her credit card and then have her pay us back so she avoids that 15.9% interest rate. What do you think? Man, that's, that's a tough one it for is. every parent, regardless of whether or not they're a young adult and out on their own or you know, they're in first grade and, and the question is, well, do you let them live with the consequences of their decisions? Right. <laughs> I mean, that, that ultimately yeah. is the issue here, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and the question I would pose to Dennis is if she would have come to you back when she was you know, contemplating this decision, would you have lent her the money back then? Or would your response have been, no, I, I don't think you should be doing this. I don't think it's a good choice. It seems like it'd be bad debt if you were to borrow this money. And if that's the case, then, you know, it's still bad debt, even though it's, you know, years removed or months removed from the decision, it's still bad debt. And you need to have a principle in your life that I don't make bad loans to people, even if they're family. And a bad loan, in my opinion, is someone who um, really is unlikely to be able to pay the money back or it's going to create some sort of bondage in their life. Or maybe, you know, they, they never would have been able to get the debt anywhere else. 
Yep. Okay. Great question and great answer, Josh. More questions coming up on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, 95.3 MNC. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran & Keen, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Hey folks, welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. My name's Mike. I've got Josh and Kevin with me in the studio, as well as Rob Perigini working the board. Thank you very much. Once again, so happy for Casey and his wife welcoming their new baby girl uh, to the world. So excited for them. Folks, if you have a question for the show, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit a question right there. You can even listen to previous episodes as well. You can give us a call, 574-222-2000. And finally, you can check us out on Facebook at Wise Money Radio uh, right there. Okay, folks, we are talking about, we're actually right in the middle of a question from a listener, Dennis, and uh, we left a little meat on that bone, if you will. So we're going to pick that one back up. So here's what Dennis asked. He's age 57. My daughter just graduated from college a few years ago and is living on her own, but she's still young, trying to recover some from financial mistakes. She owes about nine grand on a credit card. That's a 15.9% interest rate. And my wife and I have thought about using our savings to pay that off and then have her pay us back because that would avoid that 15.9% interest rate. What do you think? Well, that's a great question, Dennis. I actually have a lot of thoughts for you. And as you approach solving this problem, one of the things that you're probably drawn to is that 15.9% on nine grand, she's probably paying about $125 a month in interest. Ouch. And what, what a horrible thing that is. And so... Here's what I think. I, I guess my question is, Dennis, what is the problem you're trying to solve? It, are you trying to fix the money problem or are you trying to fix the problem? Mm. And well, so what other problem would there be? Well, it, uh, admittedly, there were some bad financial decisions. But those, those are his words, right? Those are his yeah, words. So, so that'd be a question for, for him or for his daughter. Does she see it that way? Does she recognize, man, I, I wish I hadn't done this, right? Uh, I, I wish you mean I had spring done... break in Acapulco wouldn't, it, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a bad financial decision? No, the the, uh, the $3,000 that will cost her about $6,000 after all the uh, interest and other things. But I think what you want to think about, Dennis, is what are the what are your guiding principles? What What is the constitution that you live by? And one of the things that I would encourage you to do is to be very objective. And it's hard to be objective about this because your emotions take over. And you say, wait a minute, this is my daughter. This is my own flesh and blood. And am I going to watch her suffer? And for most parents, the answer is no, I, I'm, I'm not willing to do that. Okay, I agree with you. So, but what's the best solution? And the easiest one to just inject yourself into the mix and say, well, I can... I have the means, I can solve the problem. But actually, I think by, by trying to solve the problem, uh, taking the credit card company out of the mix and inserting yourself into the mix, 
I believe that creates another problem. So if I was going to create a guiding principle or a rule to live by, it would be that I don't do loans. The bank does loans. Josh talked in the previous segment, hey, is it a good, it's, it's probably not a good loan. I look at that and say, to me, a personal loan, there's no such thing as a good personal loan. Yeah. I don't do loans. Mm-hmm. If you, There are actually companies um, that are on the corner of uh, the busiest roads in town that do loans all day long. So if you needed it, if you needed a loan, go get one. Go refinance that. If she's a good risk, she can refinance that debt at a lower rate. If she's not, she's still going to pay 16% on that debt. And so I, th- I think about it and you say, just because I can does not mean I should. Right. And that's what I would encourage you. Because for me, for my money, and again, this is from a very biased source, but I'm saying, look, if you want to help your daughter and you want to do it monetarily, go hire a certified financial planner to create a financial plan for her and to create a, help her create a budget and a debt snowball and get her a, a, a solid foundation. That's how financially... I think you should help your daughter. You mentioned in there, though, that by taking the credit card company out and inserting himself, he he eliminates one problem or he deals with one, but he creates another one. Yeah, we call that a gift, Josh. A gift. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that's Potentially, where... but, you know, I, I kind of want to articulate what that potential problem could be. And one of them that we've observed many times is that the the rescue plan that you come in with becomes a pattern of rescues. Mm-hmm. And it may be a pattern in both your thinking and your daughter's. It may become a pattern in your thinking first, actually. It, you know, you're, you're always quick to be able to, um, you know, try to rescue her from the, the consequences. But, you know, these negative consequences of having this high interest rate credit card, it's, it's monetary. And you may want to try to reduce that. But in in doing so, you may actually be eliminating some of the positive consequences as well, because there's some life lesson in here for your daughter. There's some character growth. There's this hatred for debt that could develop. And it all goes away if you just make that decision that she made have no financial consequence to it. Yeah, yeah that's so tough. And it's, it's hard to do. It's very tempting to, to try and clean that up, but I would agree with you guys as well. And this is actually a great time to be asking that question, Dennis, because right now there are lots of kids that are going back to school. And about to make some really bad decisions. And, <laughs> and they, are, yeah, absolutely. With credit cards? Yeah, I go back 25 years when I played rugby at Central Michigan University. And one, we did a number of different fundraisers. And one of the fundraisers we did was if we could get someone to fill out an application for a credit card, we got, I don't know, 25 or 30 bucks for the club. Is this that was penance? a lot of money back Is then. Is this penance then for you? Because you helped all, you enabled all these people. These Well, <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was, we were kind of the gateway drug. Yeah. And and when you look at it, the uh, they were guaranteed to get a credit card with a $500 limit. Now that came in handy for Chad Lake, if you're listening, when we went to the MAC tournament in Bowling Green, uh, his buddies had to bail him out. And oh my the, goodness. The jail took credit cards, which was good. Uh, so, it, you know, it, on occasion, it is good to have those things, but I would be talking to my student right now about should I use money that I have not yet earned and paid taxes on to go out to Hacienda tonight and then have an enjoyable evening? And, and my encouragement would be to say uh, that's a big fat no. Okay, folks, we are into questions from fans of the show. We got a, another one here from Kathy. She's from Elkhart. She's 45. Also about her kids and financial issues. Gosh, maybe it's just be abstinent. I don't know. 
That's the, that's the moral of the story. Uh, here's what she says. My kids, here's what she said. My kids are getting to the age where they will all have driver's licenses, and I'm worried about what that's going to do to my insurance. Uh, what should I expect my cost will increase by, and is there anything I should do to make the impact as low as possible? I can think of several things. Number one, I don't know. There's been a rumor around wise money that I uh, I drive fast. I don't know where that rumor came up, uh, started. Um, maybe, maybe I got a ticket recently, but, uh, so I was actually that on most shows. Maybe. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, so anyway, I'm looking at some ways to offset the surcharge that I know is coming. And my agent, uh, Janet over at KFG at our firm, she said, Hey, maybe you should get that device that monitors your driving because by using speedometer, <laughs> you it's don't ridiculous. have one. That's your problem, right there. I don't use it. That's problem ridiculous. solved. No, you know they've got these little devices that you can plug into your car. They track your driving, and just by doing it, you get a discount. And if your driving's actually good, they'll even give you a bigger discount. So that's what we're doing. And as a parent, my kids are too young to be driving right now. But as a parent, shoot, I'd want to make sure they're driving right. And, and and having good uh, driving practices, so I'd I'd check out plugging that thing in. I would also warn you though, now is not the time to skimp on insurance to try and lower that price. So it might be tempting to make some changes, reduce your coverage, or or make some sacrifices to the insurance. No, no, Kathy, this is the time where you need that insurance coverage in place. I assumed you were going to take it one step further and say you may even need more insurance. I was, right? I was, but you're giving me that look, so okay. I thought I better stop. So you're going to steal my thunder. But <laughs> the, the umbrella policy may make a ton of sense during this phase of your life if it hasn't up to this point already. Yeah. Because you have youthful drivers. They are... That by nature, more risky. They're more likely to get in an accident than you are, mm-hmm. uh, typically, right? And because of that, that's why their insurance costs so much. And it also opens your financial life up to some liability because most likely you're the owner of that vehicle. And if they get in an accident with your vehicle, the driver and the owner can get sued. And so it's your insurance that's on the line. You want to make sure that it's a robust plan and an umbrella gives you extra coverage. Yeah, I, I, that's not going to be the last time we see that question because that's that's a big issue. A lot of people are facing it, and I would not be lured into reducing coverage or anything like that. I actually saw one of my roommates at Michigan State drive the wheels off one of our other roommates' cars. Literally <laughs> happened. So, Hey, once again, I want to point you to wisemoneyradio.com as well as at wisemoneyradio on Facebook to check out all the latest information, previous episodes, and all of that. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, and myself, and the rest of us at KFG, have a great weekend, folks. We'll see you next week for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on 95.3 MNC. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.